save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Oh, Brian, what have you done now? Oh, Brian, what have you done now? This is Back to the Future, the podcast. Presented by the Brad Miller Show. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're gonna see some serious shit. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? One point twenty one gigawatts. Hey, Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey! This is a flying thing. You gotta come back with me. Where? Back to the future! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time at one of the greatest film trilogies of all time, Back to the Future. I am your friend in time, Brad Gilmore. Thank you for yet again tuning into the show and checking us out. It really means the world to me if you are listening via iTunes, um, via Back to the Future, pod.com. It's all appreciated. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes and uh, give us five stars. Nice, a little review. It helps with the algorithm. It helps more Back to the Future fans like yourselves find this show. Um, I know there's an email. It's backtothefuturepod at gmail.com. Send in your questions, concerns, complaints, suggestions, or your love for the show. Um, that would be nice, too. Um, today on the show, we have Jason Aaron, the director of the upcoming Back in time documentary looking back at Back to the Future much like we are on this show but he has a whole film about the trilogy and it, it I've seen the trailer if you haven't seen the trailer to it you know search it on YouTube or go to backintimefilm.com I mean it's an incredible trailer it looks so amazing talk to Michael J Christopher Lloyd upcoming guests on the show such as Jeffrey Weissman I mean it, it looks incredible I can't wait to see it it comes out future day in October 21st 2015 um, <clears throat> but we talked to him about the film the film process what does Back to the Future mean to him why make a movie of this so it should be pretty interesting I want to take this time right now to thank our past guest Kevin Pike and Claudia Wells uh, for being on the show if you haven't listened to those episodes please go check them out right now on backtothefuturepod.com or on iTunes and uh, we're going to have more guests coming up, amazing guests. Like I said, Jeffrey Weissman, Kasim Gaines, all coming up here on the show very soon, as well as a slew of others. And we're going to be uh, starting the reviews of the actual Back to the Future movies here in the coming weeks. I know the schedule says that this episode is supposed to be Back to the Future Part 1. We have to hold off on that for just a moment. Uh, I'll tell you why at a, re- a later date, but some really amazing things going on right now. For Back to the Future of the Podcast. 
So without further ado, let's get into our interview with Jason Aaron. Welcome back to the Brad Gilmore Show on Demand. We're continuing our series on a look back, a retrospective of the greatest film franchise of all time, in my humble opinion, Back to the Future. And on the line with me right now is the director of the upcoming documentary on the series, Back in Time. His name is Jason Aaron. Jason, how you doing? I'm great, Brad. How's it going? Hey, can't complain, man. Can't complain. Here we are. We're talking now Back to the Future it is the year 2015. I want to start off by saying this. I celebrated January the 1st, New Year's Day 2015, by the very first film I watched, Back to the Future Part 2, to kind of get a feel for what year we're going to have. How do you feel in about 2015 right now? Uh, not only am I feeling great, but I will actually uh, echo your sentiment. I, I remember, and of course we're working on this project two years now, but New Year's this year, uh, it was one of those moments we, we knew we were going to have a big year. And um, I remember right around New Year's, I went on Facebook, and I was just I was at a house party, and I'm looking at my phone, and I'm seeing the multitude of Back to the Future posts. I mean, abnormal amount. Yeah. Uh, just of social media that was banging around about Back to the Future. And I texted uh, my uh, my EP, my producer, uh, Louis Krubich and Lee Leshen, and I said, guys, it's going to be a big year. <laughs> No, man, definitely. I've been waiting for Back to the Future. 2015, here we are finally. It is going to be a great year because this year we're finally going to get to see this back-in-time documentary about the series. Tell the people listening right now a little bit about this project. Um, so this uh, film I was working on and an idea kind of popped into my head and I had an inkling that Pop culture was wrapped around Back to the Future, and I, I thought it was big. I had no clue how big it was. Um, but essentially what we started out um, doing was just looking at the impact that Back to the Future had over the last 30 years on our culture, different fan stories. When we started, it was really all based around the DeLorean time machine. That was that was what we were looking at, and, and the early stories, the fan stories, all had something to do with the DeLorean time machine. But as the project progressed over the next uh, year and a half or so, it just started growing in scope, and we started getting yeses from places that we never thought we would. And eventually, it turned into this massive thing where next thing we knew, we had Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale, Leah Thompson, Dean Cundy, all the way down the line. Um, and we had the vast majority of the cast and crew in there. And we tried not to um, our initial it's a fan documentary. Um, and We've stuck to that. The, just the scope of the stories have, have gotten bigger, and we've allowed sort of the people that were involved in the film uh, to almost narrate uh, the film itself and, and just back up what the fans are saying and then focus on these little vignettes, these fan vignettes. And uh, in 50 years, when people are looking back 
you know, and getting ready to celebrate that anniversary, they'll still be watching what we did now for the 30th. So this will really be the accompanying piece, uh, you know, with Back to the Future. I mean, I watched the trailer for this film, right? I watched it maybe five, six times in a row because I got so excited when seeing Michael J. Fox, Chris Lloyd, Bob Zemeckis, Bob Gale talk about this story that they cultivated over 30 years ago and the the impact it's had on so many people's lives. You know, you see a few fans in the trailer and they've, you know, one guy said he maxed out his credit card to buy a DeLorean so that they could build it into a time machine. Um, what, what was it like talking to some of the fans before we get to the people of the movie, what was it like talking to the fans who have dedicated a major part of their life to Back to the Future? Um, so, you know, this documentary started because we knew that there was a huge amount of fan interest in Back to the Future. Um, so that didn't come as a surprise. I think the depth of it definitely surprised us at some to film Secret Cinema's production of the future in London. And that was 80,000 people coming over a six-week period, you know, 3,000 people a night to kind of be a part of Hill Valley 1955 and this amazing recreation that they did, um, you know, for, for, uh, for their celebration. And going to London and seeing all these fans, and I think as Americans, we kind of, and I mean, I'm a New Yorker, so I'm definitely guilty. You know, you live in this box where you think that the whole world revolves around you. Um, we certainly do it as Americans and, uh, certainly as New Yorkers. And I think going to England and seeing like, wait a minute, you know, they've seen this movie in another country. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was a little bit eye opening. And one of the greatest experiences has been when we launched this Kickstarter that's currently running, um, just uh, under four weeks ago, the amount of press requests that we've gotten from the most obscure places I did an interview um, for a South Korean news network. I mean, what? You know, South <laughs> Korea? It, it, you don't even think about it. Argentina. We did, a, we did an interview there. And it's, uh, you know, so it's amazing to really feel how big Back to the Future is globally. And we have almost 2,000 backers on our Kickstarter project, and, and about half of them are from, uh, you know, countries outside of the U.S. And, I mean, it really it touches every corner of the globe. It's amazing. You know, it's one of the it's one of those films that when you see it, you know, you automatically fall in love with it. For me, it was it was it was Doctor uh, L. Brown, you know, and and that character is what really brought me into the series and what I really loved about the whole uh, film series as a whole. What was it for you? What was it about Back to the Future that drew you in to want to make this movie? I mean, not even to make the movie. What was it about Back to the Future that made you a fan? Yeah, I think what's great about it. Um, for me, and this might sound nuts, but it always seemed real. Uh, there was something about the movie, you know, they didn't take it too far into sci-fi land. Um, and it kind of seemed like, especially for me, I was a kid uh, when I saw it. So it just seemed like this could really happen. Um, and the fun and the comedy and the action and the drama, you know, and that bit of sci-fi, I wanted to know which one of my neighbors had the DeLorean time machine so I can go get in a ride. And, and certainly when Back to the Future came out, um, you know, growing up, Back to the Future 2 was my favorite movie. As a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, um, to see it and, you know, to think, wait a minute, there's going to be a, a gray sports almanac. I mean, this is this is a real <laughs> thing. And, and, and hoverboards, I mean, who didn't want a hoverboard? Oh, yeah. Um, and what's crazy, you know, if you would have told me two years ago, before we launched this project, 
that I would be that I would have you know rode a hoverboard during the making of this film, I would have laughed in your face. And that is exactly what happened when we went to Los Gatos, California, uh, a little earlier this year. We got to visit you know Hendo hoverboards where they have made a working hoverboard, and everyone on my team that was up there, we all rode it. I mean, it was it was amazing. So it's those you know it's those kinds of things that you know, you just pinch yourself and, and you say, you know, wow. And, and, you know, to get back to your question, it's, it's that, that that's what Back to the Future was. It was so real. It, it was, it just bordered on that, on that edge of fiction. Um, and I think that's what made it so great for me over and over and over again. And they just touched on so many genres that, that just work. So, um, that, that was it for me. I know you, you touched on it, you know, where, where they, they kind of stayed away from the sci-fi element. And to me, the time travel, as, as crazy as it sounds, the DeLorean was just a, was just a, a device, a means to, to make this story happen between, you know, you know, Bob Gale said it. He wanted to know if, you know, he'd be friends with his father if he, if he was in high school. And that's kind of where this whole story spawned off of. And it was one of those things to where, you know, you start to think about, man, I wonder if I wonder if my dad was was a jerk or was he a nerd? I mean, how was he in high school? And it's it's for me was that was another thing for me that just drew drew me into this story. Um, now, you've, you've made this film over two years. You talk about riding a hoverboard. Um, what was for you, aside from the hoverboard, what was one of the most surreal experiences w- 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 while making this film being such a fan of Back to the Future? I think unquestionably it was meeting Michael J. Fox. Um, when we set out to do this, even once we, you know, had gotten attention and we raised $45,000 on Kickstarter two years ago and we started the production of this, Michael J. Fox wasn't really on the radar. I mean, it was something that we wanted, but something that we didn't think, you know, he was just too big for this, you know? And, um, and eventually as time went on and, and we started realizing, you know, this product was picking up legs Maybe this is going to happen. And, um, you know, we get Michael J. Fox. Fun thing about it was that he's in New York and we're in New York. So more or less for the majority of this documentary, every shoot that we did involved travel. And with Michael, I woke up in my bed that morning and I got in my own car and I drove to Manhattan. You know, to be able to do all of that and then next thing you know, it's like you almost don't even expect it coming, and then you wake up and, oh, my God, I'm, I'm sitting having a conversation with Michael J. Fox in his office in the city, and it's just, it's re- you know, it just becomes real almost almost instantly. So that was uh, that was definitely the moment where, you know, oh, I'm talking to, uh, you know, I'm talking to Marty McFly. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, you know, that must have been just in it. In it. I can't even I can't even describe how awesome that must have been, and for guys like Chris Lloyd, and then to get Bob Gale, Rob Zemeckis, Leah Thompson. I mean, all these people um, in one movie. To me, you know, I always was a fan. I'm a fan of the behind the scenes. You know how stuff came to be. I'm a big history guy, and you know, I have the uh, the the Blu-ray, the 25th anniversary Blu-ray series of where they have those those behind the scenes little documentaries and to me I almost didn't watch those as much as I did the actual movies do you think that there is a huge audience that are more interested at this point in what's what went on behind the scenes and the making of the film than sometimes even the actual movies themselves yeah I think so and, and it's not a negative thing either you know the bottom line is that the first film is uh, you know it came out in uh, July 4th weekend so 
coming up in just about two or three months. I mean, this film will be 30 years old. And as great as it is, and as many times as you could watch it, it is 30 years old. And I think that the love that people have for it makes them want more. And that's why Back to the Future 4 has always been this huge topic of conversation. Will there be a Back to the Future 4? Will there be a Back to the Future 4? You know, the answer from everything I can gather is unequivocally no. And if there is, it's not going to have anything to do with, you know, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. I mean, it it will be, they're not interested. Um, So fans want more out of it, you know, because you could only watch it so many times. I I need something new. I need something new. And, and you talk about those little vignettes on the on the Blu-ray, and I've seen a couple of those, and and you know you get it from that, and that's kind of what we're looking to do with our documentary. It's it's give fans that new content out of Back to the Future, you know, without going to the well one too many times and trying to make another Back to the Future. Um, so I I certainly know what you mean, and and for me as a fan, that's kind of why I wanted to make this. And Lee Leshen, who joined our production team about halfway through the project. He literally, that's why he came to us. He, he was home. He had just gotten an Apple TV. He was in love with all the different documentaries that were on Apple TV. And then uh, he kind of looked and, and said, oh, I'd love to see a documentary about Back to the Future. And he couldn't find one. And that's when he found our Kickstarter page. And, uh, you know, from our original Kickstarter, and that's how he joined the crew. So I think that's really, that, that kind of, that's what it is. It's, it's the fans' desire for more Back to the Future. So anything you can get, whether it's behind the scenes or a documentary like what we're doing or, or the out-of-time documentary that's coming out, which is a documentary about them restoring the A-car from Back to the Future, um, you know, that's just what fans want. They need something new out of this uh, franchise. You know, we you talk about all, all the things that made Back to the Future special. You know, when you talk about the DeLorean, you talk about Hill Valley, California, a place I've always wanted to visit my entire life. I've always like, wanted to go you know, my brothers, when I was little, my brothers live in California, and I would always call them and say, hey, when I come out to California, can you take me to Hill Valley? And, you know, my older brother, Rusty, would just kind of laugh me off. But all these things that made Back to the Future so special, but you can't get away from the characters. Marty McFly, Dr. Brown, all these characters. Aside from Marty and Doc, who was your, one of your favorite peripheral characters, one of your supporting characters in the films? Who was one of your favorite? I mean, as a kid growing up, Leah Thompson, you know, I mean, she was, you know, beautiful. I mean, she's, she's the heartthrob, you know, and, uh, um, so I think, you know, you always, uh, you always wish, hey, you know, one, one day I'll have my own, uh, you know, my own Leah Thompson. Um, so I think that, that, you know, that for me, I mean, obviously, you know, I love Marty and Doc too, but, you know, that was it. (laughs) Lorraine, everyone, everybody wanted, everybody wanted a Lorraine. Everyone Um, needs a Lorraine. As I got older. Yeah, and by the way, that's that was kind of weird about meeting Leah too. You know, it's like, yeah, man, you know, <laughs> the ten year old self could see me now. You know, my ten year old self be um, so jealous. And then, and then, yeah, seriously, and, and and Biff too, because um, even though he was the an- antagonist, as I got older, you realize what an amazing job he does acting in these films um, and playing just the the number of characters that he does we were so excited to interview him for the documentary. And then of course, you know, we found out, yeah, uh, Tom Wilson doesn't do back to the future anymore. So oh, well. yeah, that, that is, but, uh, that is a little depressing, but at least he grew up to look exactly like he did in back to the future. He looks exactly like it. Like the <laughs> 1985 Tom F. Wilson looks exactly like he does today. He certainly does. And the joke of it is, you know, a lot of times you see those things on the makeup jobs that they did for people for 2015 against what they really look like. 
Um, you know, and Tom Wilson looks far worse in his makeup than he actually does in real life in 2015. So it's pretty funny. <laughs> it, it, hey, he got he got the better end of that one. But when you when you when you think about the making of these th- three films. It, there, there's so much heart that was in the movies, and then you talk about the fourth film, the elusive fourth film that every fan has always wanted out of Back to the Future, which I know we're never going to get. I hope they never remake this film series because I think that would cause a huge amount of backlash for them. But um, if they did make this fourth movie, where would you like to see them go? That's a really good question. Um to go back into the past because you know you, you did that um i think they'd have to go back into uh, back to the future um <laughs> not, not not 2015 of course but you know take another look at what the future is going to look like um i think if they did it it would probably have to be a one-off you know you wouldn't be able to reboot the whole series Although, uh, you know, I've written an article about how they're going to be doing Fast and the Furious uh, 8, 9, 10. Um, but I think they do a one-off and start with the future. Like, let's reimagine the future again. Let's take a look at 2045. Do that. And then plot-wise, maybe they're going to have to fix a problem and go back into the past. And if they're going to do a good job with it, maybe they could figure out some way to go back to 1955 and avoid the obvious problem that they can't reuse these actors again. Um, you know, except really for Christopher Lloyd. So it would be an interesting uh, look to see if they could do that. That would be, that. you know, you know I talked to other people, yeah. most people are thinking going back to the past, but going to the future, you know, 2045, and then trying to come back to 1955, which I feel like is home, even though they're, they're set in present day, 1985 at the time, I felt like 1955 was like the home base of all three films. Yeah, I mean, you don't really go there in, in the third film. Um, you know, but in one and two, and, and the amazing work that they did in Back to the Future Part Two to go back to 1955 and play on elements that happened, and you're kind of stepping outside the scene to see the scene. I mean, um, an amazing, amazing job. And, and yeah, I agree with you. And, and they talk about it even in the film, that, that you know, November 5th, 1955, it's like this day that... You know, it's like all time travel is set around that day. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, I feel like 1955 was home. Now, let me ask you this. When, when you think about this film series, most people think about it one, two, and three. But when, the more I talk to people, the more they have the affinity for part one. And to me, they almost discredit the um, – they talk about the, the film series a lot. You know, but uh, to me, some people discredit these sequels. They almost feel like parts two and three weren't didn't live up to part one. To you, did they live up to it? And do you have to watch it as a trilogy, or is Back to the Future Part One a standalone film? I think Back to the Future Part One is a standalone film. With that said, you know I've heard all the arguments that one and two were the films, and three was a throw-in. That you know three was great because it was a western. Two, I mean. You've kind of heard it all. And I, ironically, I actually just last week watched from the years that the movies came out, Siskel and Ebert's review of all three films when they came out. And they both only agreed that one was good. Um, Siskel, I don't remember which one said which, but one of them didn't like two, and one of them didn't like three. And it was the opposite one. So that debate will certainly live on forever. Um, 
there's certainly an element of each their own. I mean, to Back to the Future fans, they're all great. Uh, I think if you want to look at it, the best way to ask the question is, without Back to the Future 1, would Back to the Future 2 and 3, would we still be talking about them 30 years later? I don't know. I don't know if, if those two movies are good enough to stand up on their own. Um, but one is certainly the classic. One's the masterpiece. I mean, they spent years writing this thing uh, and perfecting it and rewriting drafts. And then once they had this smash box office hit, they kind of went to the well real quick and they wrote these two films. They shot them at the same time, two and three. Uh, and then they released them. You know, obviously they didn't have the, the time and effort to, to put into them that they did back to future part one. Not that that cheapens them in any way, but it's, it's just, it's reality. Um, so I think they're great to me, but one, and, and like I said to you earlier, I mean, growing up, part two was my favorite. Uh, you know, as a kid, to see, to imagine the future. Uh, I loved it. That was my favorite movie. But, you know, uh, I, I think I've grown to realize how great one was. You know, just every shot, every piece of it, uh, tying up all those loose knots as the film kind of came around. Um, you know, I, I don't think you could argue that one really, one's the best. You know, you talk about one, you talk about tying up all the knots as soon as, it, as, soon as it's over. And when you think about it, I think about it from a writing perspective, and when Bob Gale was writing this film, it was almost like screenwriting 101, because every, every, everything that he wrote, every line within the first 30 minutes of the film paid off by the end of the film, and I always really loved that. Everything kind of went together. When you talk about Twin Pines Mall turned to Lone Pine Mall by the end of the, uh, in, in, by the, end of the movie, and I've always loved everything like that, but the one thing that isn't explained throughout the entire series... Um, at least cinematically isn't explained, is the relationship between Doc and Marty and how it came to be. How are they friends? In Jason Aaron's mind, if you had to make it up, if you had to cultivate their, their backstory, how did Doc and Marty become friends in your mind? I think it was probably Marty getting into trouble. You know, that's, that's kind of what Marty did. And, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe he tried, uh, maybe him and a bunch of friends are trying to rob Doc's house or, or something to that effect. But I, I think... You know, if I had to make it up and write the story, it would definitely be Marty was doing something, got himself in a little bit of trouble, and uh, Doc was this accepting older guy who himself probably needed a friend or two, and it just kind of worked itself out from there. It's interesting. For me, I always like imagined it like because Doc had this huge guitar amp in his, in his house, that was why they were friends. That's what always kind of came to mind in my head. Um, when you talk about Doc, though, you talk about a classic character of the screen, and you talk about some of the most memorable phrases, like where we're going, we don't need roads, like he did in the trailer for your film. Um, 1.21 gigawatts, great Scott. You know, all these, th all these uh, lines that kind of are synonymous with the film. And uh, when you think about classic lines from the movie, they all come from Doc, with the exception of Heavy. What was it about Dr. Eminem Brown and Christopher Lloyd especially that, that made that character connect with a, a, a global audience? You know, it's interesting, uh, Dan Harmon, uh, the way he put it, he said uh, that this character had a late pipe, you know, <laughs> because you, you needed all these technical explanations of what was going on, and it's a scary thing when you're writing because you cross a fine line of too much exposition, um, and then you lose your audience, but his, in his belief, and I'm giving Dan Harmon's opinion here, because it's amazing, is that that's what made that character so great, that he was able to have so much exposition and so much technical jargon and just so much 
what you would consider, you know, not important dialogue to the story, yet he did it so well and so perfectly, and, and his his that attitude and, and the excitement, you know, that Doc Brown has, um, that was Christopher Lloyd's genius in this character. Um, and I think, I mean, me as a filmmaker, I mean, any creative, you can relate to this guy. I mean, he's not that crazy. Uh, you know, there's something in, I think there's something in everybody that, you know, you want to create and you want to, uh, you know, standing out. It's not, it's not that bad. And, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't stand out in a good way. I mean, he was a local town crackpot, but, uh, you know, he certainly did great things uh, in his scientific career, I guess you'd call it. And and it's funny because when you meet Christopher Lloyd, I mean, Christopher Lloyd is not Doc Brown. I mean, their personalities could not be more different. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is very quiet um, and very shy, and that's not really uh, Doc Brown. So it was just an amazing job done by, you know, by a very good actor. You know, he's always been my favorite character, and you know, one of my favorite scenes of of his was always the uh, when when Marty comes to him first when he comes back uh, from the past, or when he comes back from the future into the past. You can get really confused talking about this movie um, when you go yeah, right? back into 1955, and he's trying to say that he's in a time machine you invented, and who's president in 1985? Ronald Reagan, and the whole joke kind of goes from there. What was one of your favorite scenes from the from the series? Oh, that's a good one. Um... I haven't had to think about that one yet. Um, I actually really like the dark uh, 1985, the alternate 85, when they come back in and everything's screwed up and Strickland's got the gun belt, uh, you know, around his shoulder. <laughs> and, uh, and they go to this uh, Pleasure Paradise. I, I, I kind of like that whole, I mean, it was dark, and, and as, a, as a young kid, I mean, you know, this is stuff I shouldn't be watching. And... <laughs> And it was great to see Lorraine with the, uh, you know, with the implants and the whole thing. I mean, uh, that was really fun. And, and kind of how he got there, you know, you watch the video that Marty watches for a few seconds of the explanation of how he went to the track on his 18th birthday and he won his first bet. And I mean, to me, the dark side of that was kind of almost intriguing. And I think intentionally so. Yeah, you know, I've always wanted to, I've always kind of wanted them to spend a little more time in the alternate 1985. I did love that. That part and hey, that was the that was the time period that gave us Billy Zane, right? That was the first time I saw right. Billy Zane, which was you know, right. incredible. The Phantom, Billy Zane, and um, anyway, this film, Back in Time, the documentary of the making of Back to the Future, the the, the trilogy. You talk to the fans, you talk to the cast. I'm so excited to see this. You have a Kickstarter campaign that has a few days left on it. Um, make sure anyone who, who's listening to this goes and supports that Kickstarter. I've done it myself. Just give them anything you can because we as Back to the Future fans want to see this film. And Jason, let me ask you this. When are we going to see this film? So uh, Future Day, October 21st, 2015. Um, we're going to release it publicly at the uh, We're Going Back celebration. It's the 30th anniversary celebration of Back to the Future. They did a great event at the 25th anniversary. They're doing it all again at the 30th, so we're going to premiere it there. Uh, premiere tickets are actually one of our reward levels. And then um, and then from there, you know, we're in talks with a lot of different uh, distribution options. So not sure what we're going to do. One of our key goals just in all of those talks is to make sure that as many people in the world can see it. Um, so uh, beyond that, it's hard for me to say what's going to happen. Uh, you know, as we progress in our edit, it's, it's just sort of opening different doors and different opportunities. But, um, 
you know, that's the goal, that to get this thing in front of as many eyes as possible. Well, definitely, and 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 when when this film comes out around October, we gotta we gotta come back on the show after we are able to see it and talk a little bit more about it. He is Jason Aaron. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Jason underscore Aaron, or go to backintimefilm.com, Subscribe to their newsletter to make sure you get all the uh, breaking updates on Back in Time, the documentary. Jason, thank you so much for being a part of the show, and we're gonna have to talk again in the future. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. A huge thank you goes out to Jason Aaron for being on the show. Make sure you check out his upcoming film, Back in Time, coming soon. And uh, go to Back in Time Film or at, on Twitter at Jason underscore Aaron um, and find out more information about that. Anyways, coming up next week is another special edition, special episode of Back to the Future of the Podcast. I hope you tune in and check it out and you enjoy it as much as you've enjoyed this show today and the shows in the past. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time, I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore. Brad Gilmore Show On Demand is meant for entertainment purposes only and does not mean to infringe on any copyrights of Back to the Future, its characters, its audio clips, or its music. Hope to see you again in the future. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save